Good morning. This is Pastor Todd. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. This week, I am sharing a message for the church. I trust the Lord uses it to encourage and build you up. And here is this week's message. Rest on him now. Holy Spirit, we ask you to touch him. Father, thank you for the incredible things that he's experienced and how you've talked to him this week, that you have been been touching him and resting on him this week to reflect about what to speak to us today. Thank you for your heart and your presence in him. Thank you that you are energizing him and giving him wisdom. Father, we just pray that you would help us today and this week to think through what, what he's talked about and to integrate it into our living. Father, it's like we, we, we don't want to just be thinking content or just whatever, but we want to integrate it into our living and who we really are to be more and more present to you. So we just pray that you'd enable us to do that this week and that we would we'd be able to step forward understanding your love and your graciousness to us even deeper and deeper. So thank you for your heart today through Todd to us in your name. All right. Well, welcome to the Gathering Place, everybody. I'm uh, Pastor Todd, one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're tuning in on Zoom or listening in on podcasts, thank you for tuning in. Uh, so this week we're going to wrap up our series on Nehemiah. And then next week uh, Byron's going to have a special thing on uh, Mother's Day and uh, the church anniversary. And we'll move into another series. So but this week we're wrapping up Nehemiah. And uh, we're going to title this one, The Importance of Remembering. And we're really going to look at a big chunk of Nehemiah chapter 9. <coughs> Excuse me. So, uh, and I'll name off the slides as we go along, Twyla. So starting with slide number one. Now, our final message from Nehemiah is going to look at the importance of remembering from the context of what's going on in Nehemiah's time. Because remembering our history as a people or as a nation is important. Um, it's important for recalling events of the past, um, because each generation is then shown the good, the bad, the ugly, and the redemptive aspects uh, that made us a people that we are today. So by the grace of God, these things happen, and we're called to remember those. So when a, when a nation's history is forgotten or erased, there are other powers that will work to create a new history to replace that in their own image. For example, and this is slide number two, in ancient Rome... When an emperor whom the Senate hated passed away, they would uh, remove all of the emperor's commemorations, and the Senate would declare what's known as, and this is slide number three, the abolitio nominis, or the abolition or the erasing of that emperor's name. Uh, did the pictures already show up? Yeah. Okay. Uh, go back to the pictures. Um, so go up one. Oh, no, go forward one. Oh, the pictures aren't showing up. Oh, my goodness. And this one, there's another one. Oh, okay, go to the next one. Okay, that one. Here we go. So these are examples of what happens whenever they declared abolitio nominis, right? So they'll, they'll start cutting off the noses. They'll start defacing the monuments. They will actually go in with a chisel and remove the name on plaques. Or they would deface paintings and frescoes who had the emperor's likeness on it. Boy, does that look familiar today? <laughs> so, so the Senate would declare this abolitio nominis, um, and they would claim to be you know, the moral superiors 
and they would embark on destroying any resemblance of the leaders that were being commemorated. Similarly, in, uh, in communist Russia, when Stalin took over, instead of commemorating all the accomplishments of one of his cohorts, um, Trotsky, he embarked on this thing called de-Trotskyization, where he demanded that every word, every photo, and every member, uh, memory of Trotsky was to be obliterated. Uh, and so we have a picture here. This is the original picture, and then this is the official state-produced replica. So there's Trotsky. There's no Trotsky. It's all over the place. You can find this on uh, the New York Post websites and stuff. Um, like, so this was a huge embarkment. And actually, this kind of movement in Soviet Russia is what gave rise to George Orwell's works, Animal Farm in 1984. If you're not familiar with those, read up on them. They're, uh, they're pretty prophetic, as he wrote those 100 years ago. <clears throat> Excuse me, the later of which, 1984, we find these words. And this is slide number five. Every record has been destroyed or falsified. Every book rewritten. Every picture has been repainted. Every statue and street building has been renamed. How many schools are now being renamed because they don't want Jefferson's name on it or they don't want Woodrow Wilson's name on it? Every date has been altered. And the process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. That's a direct quote right out of 1984. In many ways, with the assertion of disinformation, and in today's government establishing an entire department dedicated to disinformation, which in 1984 was called the Ministry of Truth, the coming generation is in danger of losing a robust grasp of America's complex and rich history, thus undermining the value and importance of Christianity, the Constitution, in the Bill of Rights. In a similar way, the Jews in Nehemiah's time had lost so much and they were in danger of losing so much more of their, the sense of their own history as a people. Remember last week we talked about they hadn't observed the Feast of Booths in a thousand years. And if you guys were here, you listened to Old English, right? Which is a thousand years of the English evolution. And that's what they were facing in Nehemiah's time. They're reading from Moses' book from a thousand years ago trying to keep up with what was being written in an ancient version of Hebrew that they wouldn't know. And so they had to have all of these scholars, all of these teachers up on the platform, bringing translation, bringing understanding to what's going on, just so they could have an idea of their own national history. And so in the next 30 plus verses, it's going to be a little bit lengthy, but it's worth it. <coughs> We're going to look at Nehemiah's account of bringing this identity back to the Jewish people. Uh, what it does is it's going to give uh, an account of the history of uh, not just the people, but of their national difficulties, of their heroes and their patriarchs, of God's provision, and even of their sins and shortcomings. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at, we're going to read this huge passage, and then we're going to break it down into these categories and look at, at some of the key elements because if you read these 30 verses, you'll get a summary of the history of Israel. You'll get a summary of pretty much all of the Old Testament up until them returning from the exile. <coughs> so if you want a summary, if you don't want to read you know, the first 30 books of the Bible, 
you can read this and you get a pretty good summary of a thousand years of Israeli history. And so we're going to look at that and we're going to break it down into those components and then we're also going to look at, at related uh, categories in United States history. And I'm going to do a lot of exposition, I'm just going to bring it to the forefront just, just as a parallel uh, so we can see. So here we go, we're going to start with slide number eight. <clears throat> and the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hasha Abniai, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Petahiah said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessings and praise. So this recount is going to be in the form of a prayer, but it's a prayer that's recounting the history of Israel. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and are their starry host. The earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, you give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you, and you made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites. You have kept your promise because you're righteous. Oh, there's the book of Genesis right there. <laughs> you saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt, and you heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land. You knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground, but you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud, and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. So we're looking at Exodus now, right? You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger you gave them bread from heaven, and in their thirst you bring them water from a rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. <coughs> but they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen, listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked in the rebellion and appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. This is First Samuel with the uh, selection of Saul, where God says, you know, Saul, is the, your king is going to be your slave owner. So they wanted to go back to that. So now we're getting a recount of Samuel. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves image of calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and when they committed awful blasphemies. So that's, that's the golden calf back in Exodus. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day a pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor a pillar of fire by night, to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out. I can't wear clothes for five years without it wearing out. That's a pretty good feat. Nor did their feet become swollen. Then he moves into recounting the book of Numbers. You gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. They took over the country of uh, Sihon, king of Heshbon, 
in the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land which you told their parents to enter and possess. Their children went in and took possession of the land. You subdued them before the Canaanites who lived in the land. You gave them the Canaanites into their hands, along with their kings and the peoples of the land, to deal with them as they pleased. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were well nourished. They reveled in your great goodness. <coughs> if you ever read the book of uh, Numbers, it's kind of an action book. It's like the biggest action book in the first part of the Bible. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. Now we're rounding into the book of Judges. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they could be ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven, and in your compassion you delivered them time after time. You warned them and able to turn them back to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, of which you said the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked, and refused to listen. For many years you were patient with them. By your spirit you warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hands of the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are gracious and merciful. Now, therefore, our God, the great King, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes, the hardship that has come on us and on our kings and leaders and on our priests and prophets, on our ancestors and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until now. So now we're talking about the Assyrian captivity, 722 B.C., if you like your dates. This is coming into 2 Kings. In all that has happened to us, you've remained righteous and you've acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes you warned them to keep. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves today. So now, boom, right in the middle of Nehemiah's day. So this is under King Artaxerxes, about 400 BC. <coughs> slaves of the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit and of the other goods that it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. So there's the history of Israel and one giant prayer in Nehemiah chapter 9. So we're going to pull out of this some of the major things that gets hit on when you really look at a nation's history. <clears throat> so point number one, this is slide four, 40, I'm sorry, slide 40. The importance of remembering a nation's people, <coughs> uh, their heroes, and their patriarchs. So we have an example of, they mentioned Abraham. But usually you hear Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You have this whole birth of a nation from the, the patriarchs, the origins of Israel. And then they move into recounting the, the deeds of Samuel. He was the last prophet judge from the book of Judges that transitions into kings. So there's this huge turning point that happens with Samuel. 
um, in terms of the direction of Israel. So there's Samuel, and he appoints Saul. Saul goes sour. He appoints King David. And King David becomes another turning point in Israel where he starts expanding the kingdom of Israel. And then another major turning point happens in Hezekiah and Josiah where they stood up to the Assyrians because these are the kings of Judah during the divided kingdom period. Hezekiah stood up and prayed and Josiah is the one that led him right back into revival after his father Manasseh had just turned completely away and just started serving all of the other gods. <clears throat> so in a similar way, we have historical figures in the United States that we would do well to remember and to commemorate. Examples like George Washington. Like this guy was like, if you read good biographies, this was a man of faith. This was a Christian man who believed, absolutely believed that the United States would win in its fight against Britain because their cause was just. They, he absolutely believed that God would help because they stood for what's right. And, well, we're here today, right? Thomas Jefferson, everybody says, oh, Thomas Jefferson had slaves. Eh, well, a lot of them did because that was the milieu of the day. Thomas Jefferson tried to write in freedom for slaves in the, in the Declaration and in the Constitution, but it was other state representatives that would not sign on to it that forced him to revise that. That's something in history we don't find out about. Benjamin Franklin, like, I mean, the fact that he's on the $50 bill is, is a testament to, to a lot of the stuff that he did. And he brought a lot of wisdom. He was a secularist, right? But he did bring a lot of wisdom, and there's a lot to contribute to him. <laughs> Other examples as we move on. So those are the origins of America, right? But we have major turning points. Abraham Lincoln, right? So he heads the lead, you know, the Union in terms of the Civil War to bring freedom uh, to the slaves. And we have Teddy Roosevelt, who really paved the way in terms of conservation. Like he set up conservation policies that are in act today that um, is better than almost any of the conservation things that the EPA is putting forth. <laughs> <clears throat> he also put the US military on the map to, to make it, you know, like, like he brokered peace between uh, the Russian-Japanese war in his day. Like he brought a lot to bear on what the United States looks like today. And then even, even uh, lesser-known figures like Kit Carson, who was a major turning point in terms of Westford expansion. Kit Carson um, basically uh, interacted with a lot of the natives uh, in the western part of the United States and, and built up uh, ways for uh, us to understand uh, the western part past, you know, after the Louisiana Purchase, we just doubled the, the land of the United States and this stuff had to be surveyed and explored. <clears throat> Likewise with uh, Lewis and Clark, this westward expansion uh, were major turning points in the history of the United States. And then, in addition to heroes and patriarchs, it's important to understand uh, the, the national difficulties that we have faced. Uh, so in Israel, they had to deal with the Egyptian enslavement. 400 years. They had to deal with facing the Red Sea. I mean, that was a difficulty. God de delivered in a major way, but they're looking at the Red Sea on one side and Pharaoh's army coming at them at the next. Like, where are they going to go? It's a difficulty. The time of judges. I mean, how many times do they rebel and they get attacked by the Philistines and they get taken over and then God has to deliver them and back and forth. It's a tumultuous time. Dealing with the divided kingdom. You know, when, when Solomon's son 
came on the, on the throne and just said, I'm going to be more oppressive than all the other kings, three, three other kings before you. <laughs> and half of the elders said, we're not doing this, and they walked out. And they, they split off and they created their own kingdom. So you have this divided kingdom, kingdom of Judah that had the tribes of Benjamin and Judah, and you had the kingdom of Israel, which were the other ten tribes. And <laughs> from that point on, uh, the, the best way that a, co-work, uh, a classmate summarized back in seminary, like, how do you know what king did what? Just remember, in, in the kingdom of Israel, there were no good kings. No good kings in the kingdom of Israel. And there were some good kings in Judah. Uh, so that's a good way to kind of remember that. But they you go through the divided kingdom. 722 is the Assyrian exile. That's where those ten tribes get swept away by the Assyrian emperor, which at this point have been lost to history. Uh, like they, they intermingle so much that there is no clear identity of those ten tribes. And then the Babylonian exile, uh, almost 200 years later, is where the rest of uh, the kingdom of Judah gets swept away into the Babylonian empire. That would be some difficult times. You know, and, and here in Nehemiah, they're just now getting back into the promised land. Just now rebuilding the walls. Just now rebuilding a temple and making a way for themselves. But they still have to pay homage and taxes to the emperor. In a similar way, America's faced difficult challenges. The Revolutionary War. The Civil War. <clears throat> more, more Americans have died in the Civil War than any other war that we've ever been in. From, from past and present, period. There's the Great Depression. There's the Great Dust Bowl. I don't know if, maybe you guys remember this in high school in your lit classes or not, but, but these are major turning points in America. Both of the World Wars, like the Korean War, the Vietnam War, all of these were major turning points in America. And, and some is good and some is not so good, and we made some mistakes along the way. And yet God's been faithful. God was faithful to Israel. He's still faithful to Israel. And God's been faithful to, to the U.S. And I'm not like, you know, U.S. is a replacement of Israel or anything like that. Like, I'm still, like, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, first and foremost. <clears throat> but I'm not going to forget the American history where a covenant was ratified in the name of Jesus before the Puritans even stepped foot into Plymouth. And that how that colony grew and succeeded because of that covenant as opposed to Jamestown, which was basically the first socialist experiment that happened on these soils, and everybody died. I mean, they, they were so riddled and, and poverty-stricken because of their policy that they were digging up corpses and eating the meat off of them because it was so bad. So, I mean, like, look at the fruit, right? You, you, you know a tree by its fruit. Here we go. That's the fruit. <coughs> and then in, in addition to that, Looking at God's provision, it's important to acknowledge where God provides. We see time and time again where people will stack stones up in, in the middle of the land as a memorial of a covenant that they made with the Lord or a covenant that they made with their neighbors. So in Israel, we have this recounting in Nehemiah, God's provision at the Red Sea, God meeting them at Mount Sinai, giving them the law, giving them revelation. God wanted to, sh to show up and introduced himself to all the people. And when he started coming, they all like just turned white as a ghost, freaked out, and said, no, 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 Moses, you just, you just go and talk to him, and you just tell him what he said. Because we, 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 we can't be around that. <laughs> but God wanted to be fully present in his people. And they just wouldn't have it. They couldn't have it. But we have this provision of God on Mount Sinai. 
We have the provision in the wilderness. They talked a couple of times about the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night and then all of the manna and the water that God provided for and then entering into the promised land. Like when I started, when you get to the book of Numbers, like I said, it's an action book. It's like kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. They're just falling at the hands of the Israelites and they're just coming in and taking over the land. God provided. God gave victory for Saul when, when he was walking righteous, when he turned sour. God brought up David, and David had so many victories. Um, and then there's the prosperity of Solomon because of the work that David had done and the, the faithful prayer that Solomon prayed at the beginning of his reign because he could have had riches, he could have had land, he could have had power. And what did he ask for? Wisdom. And God said, because you've asked for wisdom, I'll give it all to you. And so Solomon ruled over the greatest prosperity in Israel that they had ever seen and that they ever would see. Because of that, you know, and then Solomon ends up going sour and then his son Rehoboam goes sour as well. But we see God's provision. And even in, even in the divided kingdom period, we see God's provision with Hezekiah where the shadow moves backwards as, as an answer to, to his prayer and his recovery from a near-fatal illness. Like there's this God's provision, the re revelation of the law under Josiah. This happens. Similarly, in, in the U.S., you know, we, I mentioned Plymouth and Jamestown, the success of the Revolutionary War. What about the Great Awakenings? Do we ever talk about the Great Awakenings ever anymore? I mean, like last week, I think I talked about uh, the Welsh revival with the, the coal-smattered faces and the, and the white streaks coming down their face because of the tears, right? That's all part of this Great Awakening, and it, and it sweeps through the colonies and, and the states. And then in the 1800s, <laughs> you have what's known as the Businessmen's Revival, where businessmen in New York just decide that they're going to start praying at like 12 o'clock every day, and there's this resurgence. And then you have the second great awakening that happens in the frontier lands. And then, you know, we're in a charismatic church. We're all about the gifts. Like the biggest turning point for like a spiritual reawakening in terms of like the Holy Spirit move in the United States is known as the Cane Ridge Revival. And that leads into the Azusa Street Revival and all the other revivals that happen because of God's provision. You know, there are these points in American history, just like in Israel's history, where where we're on the precipice of going really, really wrong, and then God's Spirit shows up and brings a renewal. And, and a lot of times we have this mind, mindset that a revival is, is like this crazy party where everybody is hooting and hollering and speaking in tongues and, and all of this and healings are happening. That can happen. The biggest mark of a real revival is people confessing their sins repenting and getting back into a holy living. Like, that's the mark of a revival. The other stuff is ancillary. I'm not saying it's illegitimate. That's not the moniker of a revival. The moniker is hearts being turned for the gospel. And we see that happening. And when we do see that happening, I mean, you can, you can follow that along uh, the lines of the U.S. economy. Like, like, look at those historical points of revival and then look at, at how the economy starts changing and, and process with that because people are living holy. And what's the promise? That when you live holy before the Lord, he will prosper you. <laughs> and so we have these historical things that we need to rem remind ourselves of and to teach our families about. And then the, the, the last section is this, 
not negating the importance of, of remembering the sins and the shortcomings of our history, our own and as a nation. If we look at the selection of uh, King Saul, in a way it puts Israel back into slavery. That's a shortcoming. God was to be their king. And Samuel was so distraught when they demanded a king that he went to the Lord and the Lord said, Samuel, it's okay, don't take this personally because it's not you they're rejecting, it's me. And so, like Samuel still had to follow the, the Lord uh, and, and, and listening to them to select a, a king, but Samuel really understood that, that God wanted to be their king and that was, <laughs> that was going to make Israel different. But they chose to go back into a form of slavery. How often do we do that in our own lives? How often do we fall back into a bondage lifestyle or a bondage mentality? Whether it's with our, our, our spending uh, habits or whether it's in the way that we relate to people or the way that, that we treat other people. Do we treat it, other people as, as, as good because we have this good self-reflection or, or do we treat them bad because we have this negative view of ourselves? And the same thing as a nation. Can we treat other people with dignity and respect because we know the good, the bad, and the ugly of our own people group, our own nation, or do we treat them poorly because we're not thankful for what God's done for us? And other examples, we have the killing of Isaiah. Or Isaiah. Uh, the tradition has it that Isaiah spoke, and, and I think it was King Ahab didn't like it, and so they, uh, they put a hollowed-out tree over him, and they sawed him in half when he's like 120 years old. Like, that's, that's the rundown, and, and, and we have that mentioned in Hebrews when it talks about the, the witnesses, the cloud of witnesses, and, and, and those that have given their lives. Isaiah is the one they believe was sawn in half uh, because the king didn't like what he said. And then the sins of the divided kingdom. Like I said, there's no good kings in the nation of Israel, right? The, the kingdom of Israel. And so what happens? King after king after king leads them into progressively worse practices to these false gods, till they get to the point where they're just burning children alive in a fire to, to satiate this god named Moloch and, and then killing their kids off to Baal so they can get better rainwater for their harvests. Like, really? Like, is it that bad? And, and why not just turn back to the Lord, right? But they didn't. And that leads into the Assyrian and the Babylonian captivity. It's like, like, you, like you can't get it right in this land that I've given you. So I've got to do something. Captivity. Until you, until you get your heart right, they will bring you back. And that's what's happening in Nehemiah here. But we have shortcomings in, in the States as well. You know what? When you turn on the news, there's no deficit of exploiting the shortcomings, quote unquote, of America. I would say the shortcomings that they're mentioning are Maybe there's some truth in them, like slavery. Yeah, there's an issue there. But all of the other stuff, it's just, I don't think it's true. I'll mention the major shortcomings that I believe that we, we have struggled with as a, as a people. Yes, there was slavery, but to quote um, Thomas Sowell, he, he's, a, he's an economics guy. He started out as a Marxist. He's a, he's, a, he's a black scholar. Started out as a Marxist in grad school, worked at the post office, and realized how deficient Marxism was and became a capitalist. <laughs> I mean, like, like, it took working in the post office, working for the government. Um, and this is what he says about uh, like the, the whole racism thing. He goes, racism's alive in America, but it's on life support. 
and it's kept alive by um, race hustlers and people that would benefit financially on keeping other races down. That's the only reason racism is still alive in America today. So if you shut those voices down, like there would be a lot less racism. I mean, like yeah, it'll still be like these podunk areas where people are racist. It won't be nearly. It's it's not nearly as bad as the media makes it out to be. But there's there is a slavery aspect that we have to be honest with, and we can learn from that. There's maybe you guys remember this or not? The eugenics project in the early 1900s. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about when I talk about eugenics? Eugenics means good genes. And so the whole philosophy with eugenics was that anybody that, that, that was deemed unfit to, to reproduce, they would go in and they would sterilize them without their knowledge or permission. And those sterilization projects have been occurring even as late as 1997. And you know who is the forefront runner of the eugenics project? Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood. She didn't think that any people of color should be able to reproduce, and she didn't think that the you know like mentally ill people should be reproducing, and and lower class people should be reproducing. So she, her policy was to try to try to remove their abilities to reproduce, and if they did, abortions, and that's where all that came from. Yeah, across the board, yeah. <clears throat> and you know who picked up on that? Who picked up on that research and who picked up on that literature? The Nazis. They got it from America. Ooh. Yeah, so yeah, we do have some culpability in our history. And it's important to not forget that. Because when we forget our sins and our shortcomings, we will go back and repeat them. They predated the Nazis, yep. All separate but equal. You guys remember that in the 1960s? Well, we're kind of seeing that again now on the college campuses where they have like blacks only and whites only dormitories and blacks only and whites only uh, student halls and things like that. So we're forgetting the sins of our past and we're recreating them. So it's important to remember. There's the good, there's the bad, there's the ugly, there's the redemptive parts. And in the midst of all of that, there is still God's provision, God's faithfulness. I remember years ago hearing Chuck Colson say that um, if God didn't do something about <laughs> the sexuality issue in New York, this is in the 90s, eventually he'd have to apologize for Sodom and Gomorrah because it was just getting so bad. My thought is, okay, so... Abraham's negotiation with God was if there were five righteous people in Sodom, then God would spare it. And I'm thinking there's at least five righteous people in New York, and that's why it's being spared. <laughs> so, little tongue-in-cheek reflection there. So, in conclusion, so we're going to wrap this up now. We've seen in Nehemiah 9 this call to remembrance and prayer regarding Israel as a national history. They called for the good, the bad, the ugly of their history. They called out for God to guide them where they're at and to be with them. And similarly, these days in, in the States, I, I can honestly say it's highly unlikely we're going to get 400 million people together to do this in the U.S. I mean, like, like God could do anything. That's a big feat. 
But we as Christians can do this. And we can do this with our families. <laughs> we can do things to remember our past as Christians in America that was founded on Christian principles. And here are some of the things that we can do as individuals and as churches and as families. We can read or audio book, if you guys aren't big on reading, you can audio book biographies of our nation's founders to see like, just how deep and complex these characters were. We can do these biographies on, on the, the founders and the shakers and the movers of our history. We can start reading U.S. history books. Either find a recommendation for more recent ones, because what you know, just like 1984, they're trying to rewrite the books, or maybe find a book that was written before 1960. I know it's kind of like, ha, but you're not going to get nearly uh, the anti-American sentiment in in older books. <laughs> Another thing we can do: we can call on God to be integral in preserving all that's good and great about the U.S. Like the, the, the Bill of Rights come right out of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, right? All men are created equal and are endowed by their creator the right to what? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That, that comes out of a Judeo-Christian worldview where people are created in the image of God and they deserve that honor and that dignity of being created in the image of God. Born and unborn, black and white, Asian, Hispanic, it doesn't matter. Any human being who walks on this earth, any human being who comes to conception, is made in the image of God. And that's what the Constitution is built on. That's what the Declaration is built on. And we need to be able to have those Bill of Rights protected, right? Freedom of speech, to speak the truth, right? To speak the truth and not just the narrative that the Ministry of Truth is demanding, is to protect ourselves. I mean, that's what the Second Amendment is all about, is, is protection of yourself, your family, and to keep a government from encroaching and becoming tyrannical. That's the whole thing. People can debate me on that later. That's fine. Freedom of religion, freedom of assembly. That means that I can meet up with anybody that I want to meet up with and it doesn't mean, and, and it means that I, I can't lose my job over it. That means that uh, I can't be persecuted for it. It means that I can't be uh, pushed down in society because of who I associate with. Those are the freedoms in the Bill of Rights. <laughs> There's more. Um, you can read it up. It's it's an open source document. So, but to call on God to preserve those good things about the U.S. and about where we stand as Americans but most importantly as Christians. And then the, third, the fourth thing we can do is we can teach and expose our fami families to the above during holidays and during other related times. So that <laughs> maybe, maybe, in our, in our, maybe when we get down with our families and if we have a story time, I'm talking about like, like we got little kids so we have story times and stuff. Just start integrating some of this in there. But even during the holidays like Thanksgiving, let's talk about the meaning of Thanksgiving during Christmas, during Easter, right? during Veterans Day, during Memorial Day. Like, why do we have Memorial Day? It's not just the day that you can culturally start wearing white. I mean, like, it's a lot more than that, right? Labor Day is a lot more than just remembering people who work hard. It's, it's this ethic, this, this culture that put God first and that we can strive to be our better selves because of the grace of God. And so... 
Nehemiah was calling his people to this under Artaxerxes' reign because they were finally back in their land. And this is something that we can call ourselves to because I believe God's going to be a, doing a big move and I don't think that we can continue as a culture in the direction that we're going without some sort of critical turning point happening. And we desperately need God to move. And we need to remember the depth, the richness, and the complexity of our history so that we know how we can take steps forward without taking steps backward. So <clears throat> that's the end of the message. So for anybody who's listening in <coughs> or who's never heard anything like this, and it sounds really bizarre from stuff that you've been hearing, if you're interested to know what God does, to understand that a little bit more, then ask him yourself. He's open to anybody. And all you have to do is just invite him, just to say, God, I've heard some strange things. I've heard some interesting things from this podcast. And I'm interested, and I want to know more. Will you show me more? Will you show me yourself? So that I know what's real and what's not. What's legitimate and what's not. And that will you show me that truth. Show me that way that I may decide. Amen. That's it. It's that simple. Because God's alive and he likes to talk to people. All we have to do is listen. And that's, that's the biggest issue is we don't want to listen. So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for, thank you for your scripture that we can learn so much out of those 66 books that it, it's enough to keep us occupied in pursuing you for all of our lives and into eternity. And so, Lord, thank you for that goodness, for that revelation. Thank you for your spirit to bring light and understanding to things. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you go with us this week as we go our separate ways, that we may take your presence, your love, and your power with us to anybody that we interact with. <coughs> and Lord, help us to remember, even in our own lives and our own history, the good, the bad, the ugly, your provision, our sins, our shortcomings, so that we may learn and grow from that, that we may build ourselves closer to your image and be more like you day in and day out. And keep us humbly, humble in doing so. And Lord, let us always be unapologetic for what is true and right and just, Father. So Holy Spirit, go with us. In Jesus' name. Hello again. This is Pastor Todd. I pray the Lord uses my message today to strengthen your walk with God. If you were blessed by this message and would like to support the ministry of the Gathering Place financially, I encourage you to use our online giving portal at tgpchicago.org. The portal uses PayPal's secure site so none of your information is compromised. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. God bless you and have a great week.